have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Psalm 130. We'll read the whole Psalm, verses 1 to 8. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's do verse 3 and 4 and 7 again. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Verse 7. For with the Lord there is mercy and with him is abundant redemption. This morning I want to talk to us about forgiveness. Both receiving forgiveness and releasing forgiveness. And both ways, as recipients of forgiveness and as releasers of forgiveness, we are the ones who are changed. When we receive forgiveness, our lives are changed. When we release forgiveness, our lives are changed. We are changed. And the Bible tells us that, you know, with the Lord, there is abundant mercy. With the Lord, there is forgiveness. You know, if God were to mark our sins, the psalmist says, you know, who could stand? Who could ever uh, have confidence before God? But with the Lord, there is forgiveness so that he may be feared. With the Lord, there is plenty of mercy and abundant redemption, limitless redemption with the Lord. And God really wants us to live in that forgiven state. And sin does a lot to us. Sin has a lot of consequences and a lot of damage in our lives. But perhaps one of the major consequences of sin is that it brings this whole load of shame on us. Shame before God and shame before man. And that was never intended by God. Because when you look in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, the Bible says there's absolutely no shame. Neither before God, neither before man. Adam and Eve, it says, the man and the woman were naked and they were not ashamed. I'm not telling you to do that, but same making the point. That there was no shame, neither before God or before man. And that's the state in which God wants us to dwell. In a state where there is absolutely no shame, either before God or before man. Everything is so clean and so clear. That's the state of being forgiven. In Luke chapter 7, 
verses 36 to 50, is an amazing story of one woman's experience of forgiveness. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. We're going to read that. Forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, brings wholeness to us. In Luke 7, 36 to 50, here's her story. Then one of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went down to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, meaning there was so much of shame on her life before all these people. They knew her as a sinner. That was her reputation, a very shameful reputation. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them would love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who is this who, who even forgives sins? For us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, for us, forgiveness is at the feet of Jesus. When we come to the cross, kneel down there at the cross, at that point is when we receive forgiveness. It's because of what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So we have forgiveness through His blood, through the cross. Because of the richness of His grace. Forgiveness begins at the cross of Jesus. It's there that we experience His forgiveness. 
But what does a genuine experience of forgiveness do for us? If we truly understand forgiveness, if we truly understand what God has done for us when he said, I have forgiven you, what impact, what effect would it have on us as people? Number one, imagine this woman. She is known as a sinner. Her life is buried under shame. And she comes to Jesus, sits at his feet, and she hears the words from Jesus, the one who can forgive sins. She hears these words, your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness, a genuine experience of divine forgiveness, releases us from any sense of shame, guilt, and condemnation. In God's presence. And is replaced with a deep sense of love. Of belonging and acceptance. To whom much is forgiven. They love much. Amen. This woman. For her to hear the words. You are forgiven. Released her once for all. From all sense of shame and guilt. Before God. And also before man. The very people who knew her as a sinner. Now that didn't matter at all. Because the one who had the authority to forgive sins had spoken and said, You are forgiven. That shame, that guilt, that feeling of condemnation was there no more. It's gone. And instead there is love for the Lord. Amen. And you and I understand that we are really forgiven by God. It doesn't matter whether big or small. You say, you know, I've lived a decent life all these years. I don't think I've done anything big, uh, any big thing wrong. I mean, it doesn't matter. The point is, uh, when you know you've been forgiven, it releases you from shame and guilt. And it replaces you with a love for the one who forgave you. Now, don't misunderstand that word that Jesus said, to whom much is forgiven, they love much. Some people say, okay, therefore, let me go and do a lot of sins. Be as terrible as I can. So at least then when I'm forgiven, I'll be able to love much. That's the wrong understanding. The point is that when you understand the significance of his forgiveness on your life, it causes you to love back very significantly. His forgiveness makes you a lover of the one who forgave you. Amen. It releases us from all shame and condemnation. What else does forgiveness do? And First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 brings this out so clearly. Paul's writing the Corinthians. He says, you know, don't you know that adulterers, fornicators, and uh, thieves, and covetous, and murderers, and, and all this long list of people he describes. He says, they will never inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you, but now you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So it doesn't matter what your past is. Now you are washed. Your slate is clean. You're sanctified. You're made holy in the eyes of God. And you are justified. You stand without any condemnation before God and before man. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness number two. 
heals us and makes us whole on the inside. We no longer walk with a low self-worth or in a self-demeaning manner. Since for us, our true worth is seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. If you truly understand, and if you truly experience divine forgiveness, the depth of it, the magnitude of it, it brings wholeness to your inner person. Just imagine this woman, a sinner woman. She walks into the room, and she must have been totally broken, full of regrets of just the life that she's lived, the choices she made. She must have been filled with all kinds of hurt, maybe bitterness and anger and all these negative emotions. Her dignity had been lost. Her self-worth was negative. She probably condemned herself every morning, noon and night. And she walks in this state into the room to the feet of Jesus. But when she's walking out, Jesus says, Go in peace. All that inner turmoil, all that inner confusion and regret and all the negative things that were stirring inside of her now, is gone. She walks out in peace, whole on the inside. A genuine experience of divine forgiveness makes us whole on the inside. It brings inner wholeness to us. I like this quote from Smeed's writer. He says, the surest cure for the feeling of being an unacceptable person is the discovery that we are accepted by the grace of one whose acceptance matters the most. If you are striving for acceptance in the eyes of man, you really haven't got an understanding of the significance of what God has already given to you and he forgave you. Because when he forgave you, he said, I'm accepting you. You are wonderful, beautiful in my eyes. And that moment we stop striving to be accepted in the eyes of man. Because we have embraced the acceptance of the one whose acceptance matters the most. The forgiveness of God not only wipes our slate clean, but it also restores our dignity, our self-worth. We now see ourselves as valuable in the eyes of God. Number three, a genuine experience of forgiveness leads us to increased godliness and reverence. Now some of us, or maybe even those outside who don't understand forgiveness as the Bible teaches it. They think, you know, oh, you Christians, you're so weak. You just need a little balm for your soul and your guilty conscience. So you go to church so that you can be forgiven, so that the rest of the week you can go and sin more. And for them, forgiveness is a license to sin. But that's not the Bible understanding of forgiveness. The psalmist said, 
In Psalm 130 verse 4, 3 and 4, he said, If you, Lord, should mark iniquity, who can stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. An ex- a genuine experience of forgiveness moves me to greater levels of reverence for God. Otherwise, my experience of this forgiveness is just a duplicate. I've not understood it real. Because when I understand what God has done for me in forgiving me, it moves me to greater levels of reverence for God. God, I want to live a life that's even more pleasing to you. I never want to go back to sin. Amen. That's a genuine experience of being forgiven by God. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28 says this, Seeing now that we have received an unshakable kingdom, we are part of an unshakable kingdom. He says, let us receive grace. The King James, the New King James says, let us have grace. The literal Greek means let us receive grace that we may serve him with reverence and godly fear. Let us receive grace. For what? Not live more in sin. He says, let us receive grace so that we can serve him with reverence and godly fear. Grace is an empowering for godliness. Grace empowers you to greater levels of reverence and godly fear of God. Amen. So when I've understood that God's forgiven me, it moves me to greater levels of holiness in God. Number four, a genuine experience of forgiveness gives us confidence and confidence in our conflict against the powers of darkness. Satan's biggest weapon against believers is a very simple weapon. It's called accusation. Revelation chapter 12 calls him the accuser of the brethren. His weapon is very simple. Accusation. What is accusation? Thoughts that tell you that you are good for nothing. Thoughts that condemn you, that rob you of your significance in Jesus Christ, that lie to you about your identity, makes you feel good for nothing. And when believers come under the accusation of the enemy, it cripples them. That's it. They don't do anything for God. Because the moment they get up to do something, the devil says, you're not good for it. Remember what you did last night? You watched TV for two hours. You could have prayed. And remember, last week you didn't read your Bible for three days. Accusation. And what happens? We tell pastor, pastor, please excuse me from doing anything in church. The devil has succeeded. With a very simple weapon called accusation. So I don't want to do anything in church. Why? I don't feel good about myself. Who is not making you feel good about yourself? Not God, not the Holy Spirit. It's the devil. He's using a cheap trick called accusation. Because you're basing your worth on how much you read your Bible and how much you pray. But God bases your worth on the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's the only 
proof of your words, the cross. So a genuine experience of forgiveness enables you to stand against Satan's number one weapon called accusation. He comes against you with accusation. You say, I'm forgiven. There is no condemnation. I'm clothed with garments of righteousness. I'm wholly accepted in the eyes of God. Amen? This is not to tell you don't pray or read your Bible. But understand that forgiveness is not based on that. So if you truly understand and have a genuine experience of forgiveness, the devil can't put you down. Because you know that you stand accepted in the eyes of God. And his flimsy weapon of accusation falls off. Because you quench it with a shield of faith that says, by what is blood, I stand clean, I'm forgiven. Amen. And number five, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time here. That a genuine experience of forgiveness of the Lord makes us forgiving of others. Jesus bore this out for us in several places. We will read these verses of scripture and they're all very familiar to us. In Matthew chapter 6, when he was teaching us about the Lord's prayer, he said this in verse 12 through 14. He said, this is how you pray. You say, God, forgive our sins as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil, evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. Every recipient of forgiveness is responsible to release forgiveness. I cannot be a recipient of forgiveness if I'm unwilling to be a releaser of forgiveness. Peter wanted to get this clear. He must have pondered it over several chapters from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 18 of Matthew. And then one day he couldn't take it anymore. He said, okay, I'm in the 18th chapter of Matthew. I need to ask the Lord. So he go to Matthew chapter 18. We'll read verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, I need to clarify something. I'm, I'm at APC. I need everything black and white. <laughs> Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. That's being very generous. For some of us, it's strike one, strike two, you're getting close, strike three, you're out. Peter was very generous. He said, seven times. And here's Jesus' response. Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, Peter's calculator is beginning to work at this moment. And before he could arrive at the answer, Jesus continues and says, let me explain. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, this is what life in the kingdom is like. 
a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay his master. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and the Mercedes and the townhouse and all that he had and the payments be made. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now this is amazing. He didn't just extend the time to repay. He just said, I'm clearing all the debt. You owe me nothing. It's gone. But that servant went out and found, verse 28, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into the prison till he should pay the debts. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgive you all the debt because you begged me, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was very angry and delivered him to the tortures, torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart, from his heart, from his heart, do not forgive his brother his trespasses. Every recipient of forgiveness must be a releaser of forgiveness. In the kingdom of God, I cannot say I'm just a recipient of forgiveness. Life in the kingdom requires me to release forgiveness to those who have offended me. Amen? Now for some of us, it's not an easy thing to do. But perhaps we don't understand the gravity of unforgiveness. Perhaps we don't understand what unforgiveness does to us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, Pursue peace with all people, meaning live at peace with those around you. And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Be careful that you don't come short of what God's grace can do in your life. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Unforgiveness causes bitterness to spring up. And bitterness buts its children of despair, of depression, of anger, of suspicion, of self-demeaning thoughts and 
And it can go on and on and even affect the body. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is be careful. Lest this root of bitterness bringing up inside you trouble you. Bitterness coming out of unforgiveness troubles me. It causes more damage to me than I can imagine. And not only that. And many others are defiled. It troubles all those around me. Unforgiveness. But bitterness inside. And bitterness troubles me. And those around me. I want to share a few insights which I have adapted actually from... uh, a teacher at Moody Church is Dr. Irvin Lutzer. And I've just adopted it, rephrased it, put it in my words. And I think these insights on forgiving others is so important. Number one, you don't have to be asked to forgive someone. Forgiveness is a choice. Many of us are waiting for the offender to come knocking at our door. Get down on his knees, kiss my feet, tell me he is sorry, and beg for my forgiveness, and then I'll forgive him. I need to know he's really sorry. You don't need to ask, wait for somebody to come and ask you to be forgiven. You can release forgiveness right the moment you're offended. And if you have any understanding of the seriousness of bitterness, you will do it right away. The moment you face your offense is the moment you will want to release forgiveness. Because you do not want bitterness sitting inside you, growing inside you, until one day like a monster, it troubles you. And you get all these symptoms. You run to the doctor. The doctor sends you to the psychologist. The psychologist sends you to the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist says, I don't know where to send you. Go back to the doctor. And you keep running around in circles and you're wondering what's wrong. It's a very simple thing. It's called a root of bitterness because of unforgiveness. You take all the medications and it doesn't help. You go through all the therapies. It doesn't help. What's the problem? It's this intangible thing and yet it's a very real thing called unforgiveness. And the reason you're carrying it inside you is because you're waiting for that offender to come and ask you to be forgiven. Why waste your time? Forgiveness is a choice. Do it right away. Number two. You don't have to wait until you feel like forgiving. To forgive. Many of us are saying, you know, I still feel the hurt. I still feel the pain. I'm waiting for that hurt. I'm waiting for that pain to go and then I'll forgive. Listen, it works the other way. You forgive first and you'll heal faster. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's an act of your will. It's a choice you make. 
And if you can make the choice while you still feel the hurt and the pain, you still choose to forgive, the pain and the hurt will heal that much faster. It's a wrong thinking that says, I'm waiting to feel ready to forgive. Number three, forgiveness will not always end in reconciliation. Now some of us think that once we patch everything up, we feel good about each other, then we'll forgive. We are waiting for reconciliation to happen, for forgiveness to take place. But that may not always happen, may not always be possible. Some of you sitting here could be angry with your father, your mother, your grandfather, or your grandmother. And maybe they are deceased, they're no longer alive. What are you going to do about it? You can forgive. But reconciliation may never take place. Will not take place. Or in other cases where the offender doesn't want to reconcile. You cannot control their choice. But you can still forgive. So in such cases, forgiveness is released even though reconciliation may not happen. It's okay. You are clear. And you will become a recipient of the power of forgiveness in your life. Whether or not reconciliation takes place. Number four. By forgiving, we are not minimizing the offense or diminishing the hurt that was inflicted. So don't, we're not downplaying the fact that something was amiss, something went wrong, that there is, there is hurt, there is pain. We're not diminishing it, but we're saying in spite of it, I'm releasing forgiveness. We are acting like our Heavenly Father, who recognizes that though we are still sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. He didn't reform us and then send Jesus to say, I forgive you, while we were still sinners. At the worst state we could possibly be, Jesus still died on the cross. So while we are not negating the fact that there is offense and there is hurt and pain, we are still extending forgiveness. Number five, by forgiving, we are not surrendering justice. But we are laying justice at the feet of the one who is the judge of all things. You know, some of us are like this. We're the very justice-oriented people. You did the wrong, you pay for it. Then you will get forgiveness. For every wrong... There is a payment, very, very justice-driven. And our release of forgiveness only is based on justice being carried out. You've got to pay. But the kind of forgiveness the Bible teaches us is a forgiveness that says, you know, I will forgive you and I will leave justice. The issue of justice, I will leave it in the hands of the one who is the judge of all things. I don't know how to see justice done in order for me to release forgiveness. I leave the issue of justice in the hands of God. 
That is true biblical forgiveness. Romans chapter 12, Paul teaches us this. He says in verse 18, If it is possible as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Forgiveness says, I don't need to avenge myself. Let God handle it. Number six. I close with this. Forgiveness is not easy. But there is no other option. Amen. It is the only way we are called to walk. First Peter chapter 2 verses 21 to 23. Peter says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example. Not for us to admire. Not for us to preach about. Not for us to write books about. He left us an example for what? That you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He was guiltless. Who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But committed himself to him who judges all things. When he suffered wrong, when he was offended, when he was hurt, he didn't retaliate. He left justice in the hands of the judge and he chose to forgive. He said, Father, forgive them. And the Bible says we've been called to walk in that example. So in as much as forgiveness may not be easy, we have no other option. But there is grace to empower us. So this morning, we're going to take time to pray. I'll just close with Revelation 3.18. The Lord Jesus speaking to the church. He's speaking to believers. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Just come to me. I'll give you what really matters. I'll give you this gold that's, that's just so valuable. I'll give you this righteousness that removes all shame. And I'll open your eyes to see things you cannot see. This morning, I want us to pray. And maybe some of us just need to come to a place where we understand the reality of the forgiveness, the, 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 the significance of being forgiven. Lord, I'm forgiven. Therefore, my slate is clean. I stand before you without any sense of guilt, condemnation. I'm forgiven. Therefore, I'm made whole inside. You said, go in peace. I'm forgiven, Lord, so that there is uh, my self-worth is restored. I have value. I'm accepted in the eyes of God. I'm forgiven. So I can stand boldly against every accusation of the enemy. 
And Satan does not have to cripple me. I'm forgiven. So now I'm empowered to forgive others. Some of us may need to pray in order to forgive, in order to release forgiveness. Maybe it's your parents who abused you, ill-treated you, who didn't do you good in your life and you need to forgive. Maybe it's someone else in your life who offended you, hurt you. The best thing that can happen to you is for you to release forgiveness to that person and healing begins inside you. Amen? We're going to pray. As we pray this morning, the psalmist said, Oh Lord, if you should mark iniquity, who can stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, that you may be honored, that you may be reverenced. We are forgiven so that we can forgive others. Forgiveness affects us more than we can imagine. Brings healing. Brings wholeness to us. We're going to take some time to pray and let the Lord do what He wants to do in our lives. Let this be a moment of encounter between you and the Lord. Saying, God, I want to really understand, I really want to experience forgiveness because of the cross of Jesus. Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I want to experience that. Or maybe some of us just need to let go and forgive somebody, someone else and release it. Holy Spirit, we just invite you now. Move upon every heart. Father, for those of, amongst us who might still be under a cloud of condemnation and shame and guilt, this morning, let them understand that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. That there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. For those of us who might be carrying bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts, the hurt and the pain of offense dealt to us. Lord, this morning, give us the grace to release forgiveness and let the peace of God flood our beings like never before. May we walk out of this building whole, healed. May the yoke of sickness and disease and pain be broken this morning because we release forgiveness to those who may have offended us. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Move upon every heart and every life as we seek you, Lord. Move upon us. Thank you, Jesus. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.